You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Money Talk. Good morning, this is Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 26th of September. Welcome to a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3. Hong Kong has from today scrapped its stringent hotel quarantine measures for incoming travellers, which have been in place for two and a half years. Instead of the current 3 plus 4 arrangement, where travellers have to quarantine in a designated hotel for three days and then spend another four days monitoring their health, arrivals will instead be given an amber health code for three days, barring them from places like restaurants, bars and gyms, but they will be allowed to go to work and attend school, as well as visit places where vaccine pass checks are not mandatory. Yesterday, five groups representing the catering industry demanded that the government ease its COVID restrictions on restaurants, warning that more eateries could be forced to close as residents opt to travel overseas instead of spending domestically. UK Prime Minister Liz Truss and her new British government have delivered the most sweeping shake-up of the UK's finances since 1972. Finance Minister Kwesi Kwarteng announced in a mini-budget Friday a series of tax cuts and regulatory reforms that will cost US$175 billion over the next five years. Traders in the financial markets reacted with horror, dumping UK assets and sending the pound crashing 3.5% to a 37-year low against the dollar and UK borrowing costs soaring. Global stocks have sold off for a second straight week after a swathe of central banks raised interest rates last week, with 10 out of 15 central banks that met increasing rates from between 25 basis points to as much as 100 basis points. The FTSE All World Index of Global Stocks fell 2.1% on Friday, bringing its loss over the week to 5%. That's the worst since June. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Sean Darby at Jefferies Hong Kong. With a view from mainland China is Brock Silvers from Kion Capital. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street's Friday, the S&P 500 slid 1.7% to 3,693, taking its losses for the week to 4.6%, and for the year to date, the index is down 22.5% now. The Dow dropped 486 points, or 1.6%, to a new low for the year of 29,590. The Nasdaq Composite Index dropped 1.8% to 10,868, bringing its losses for the week to 5.1% and to over 30% for 2022 so far. All three major averages saw their fifth negative week out of the last six. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index registered a daily loss of 2.3% on Friday to enter a bear market as its losses from the year high extended to 21%. The FTSE 100 sold off by 2% on Friday and is down 3% for the week. Stocks in Asia-Pacific fell for six straight week last, last week. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index closed down 215 points, or 1.1%, at 17,933, to the lowest level since November 2011. The index dropped 4.4% last week, taking its losses for 2022 so far to over 23%. 
and erasing 1.3 trillion US dollars in market value. The tech index was down 7% last week and is off 31% year to date. Travel and tourism stocks rallied after the Hong Kong government unveiled measures to ease COVID-19 rules. Trip.com jumped over 5% while Cathay Pacific added 1%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite erased early gains to close 0.7% lower at 3,088. For the week, it was off 1.2% and it's 15% lower on the year. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil dropped almost 5% to its lowest level since January on the deteriorating global economic outlook. It's at $86.92 a barrel this morning. Copper slid over 5% last week, taking its decline for the year to 25%. Gold was hit by the stronger dollar, closing down, uh, closing 2% lower on Friday at $1,644 per ounce. That's the lowest since the first week of April 2020, just in just three weeks into the COVID lockdown. And bond yields soared last week after the Fed raised interest rates by 75 basis points. The two-year Treasury climbed a further seven basis points on Friday to 4.2%. That's the highest since 2007. The 10-year Treasury bond yield hit 3.71% last week. That's the highest level since February 2011 before slipping two basis points on Friday. And following the UK's mini-budget, borrowing costs on UK five-year government bonds jumped by 39 basis points and on two-year gilts by 63 basis points. That's the most for a single day on record. The US dollar index, which measures the currency against a basket of six peers, rose 1.5% to hit a fresh two-decade high. The euro this morning is at 97 cents, the lowest level since 2002, after Giorgia Maloney and her far-right Brothers of Italy party topped the poll in Italian elections, according to exit polls. The Japanese yen gave up more of its gains after Japan intervened in the currency market last week for the first time in 24 years to strengthen the yen. It's at 143.5 this morning. The British pound crashed 3.5% to a 37-year low against the dollar, taking its slump for the year to date to almost 20%. This, uh, this morning, it's at $1.08 cents and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 48 cents. And the offshore Chinese yuan has also extended its drop. It's at 7.14 per US dollar this morning. That's a 26-month low. Bitcoin dropped 2.5% over the week and is at $18,700. And if we take a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets, which are just opening up for a new week, uh, in Australia, the SX200 is down 1.5% already. Similar story in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 1.5%. So is the Cosby in South Korea. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 150 points lower later on this morning. Times 810, let's welcome our guests. We have with us Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also joining him, Sean Darby, who is Chief Global Equities Strategist at Jefferies. Welcome back, Sean. Good morning, Peter. Um, as you heard there, Hong Kong's going to scrap its stringent hotel quarantine measures for incoming travellers, going to replace uh, the three-day uh, quarantine with a three-plus-four arrangement, three days um, at... Uh, 
uh, sorry, replacing the three plus four quarantine arrangement with instead uh, three days of, uh, of, of monitoring for four days of monitoring for health. And arrivals are going to be given an amber health code for three days, which bars them from places like restaurants, bars, nightclubs and, and so on. And what do you think, Alex and Sean, is going to be uh, the overall impact of these, these latest measures on Hong Kong and its economy? I think, first of all, these uh, measures will not help much of to attract foreign travellers yet because um, it is still quite inconvenient for them to travel to Hong Kong for leisures. Probably uh, we may get some uh, business travellers, but uh, I think uh, for 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 leisures, I think uh, that, that would not be enough. But I think uh, the direction is right, and probably uh, the government monitored the situation for for some time, and then uh, would uh, relax the restrictions further later on if uh, cases uh, from imports are not uh, that uh, strong. So I think uh, this is in the right direction, but the immediate impact may not be much. But uh, it would help. Uh, help actual locals uh, to go out. So I think uh, the immediate impact actually is uh, we would see more Hong Kong people uh, go outside to, 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 to get their whole vacations. That presumably then is going to have a limited impact, isn't it, on the Hong Kong economy. It will obviously benefit the tourism uh, sector, travel agents and so on, but it doesn't really help restaurants and bars here and, um, and, and other sectors. Yeah, right. But I think um, they would need these steps because um, they, they would like to see whether um, the impact would be that much. Uh, so I think that this is uh, uh, the first step only. So uh, po- hopefully we would get some further relaxations uh, coming uh, in, 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 uh, towards the end of this year. Sean, what do you think? Do you think this is going to help bring back visitors to Hong Kong? I think there is actually some wider implications. I think the first thing is that um, it should actually reinstate Hong Kong as a hub uh, for people travelling through to other parts of the um, Asian region, which mm. was being lost uh, to Singapore very, very you know, succinctly over the last six months. I think the second thing is it's a recognition that we're probably getting to the end of any fiscal stimulus that this government can now do, and therefore it really does need to have a policy in which it can live with COVID, which is exactly what they said, that they've come to be able to um, accommodate uh, COVID. And the third thing, I think, is that Hong Kong's provided the mainland with a fantastic uh, scenario or template for how to reopen the economy. And I think in that respect, there's a lot of lessons to be learnt from what Hong Kong has done for the mainland going into 2023. So you're you're really saying then that because of this, the the, the Hong Kong economy has got to learn to stand on its own feet now. It can't rely on more consumption vouchers, more stimulus. Is the Hong Kong economy strong enough to be able to uh, survive without uh, government support? Well, it's a very good point, good question. I think uh, we're sort of, you know, as we said, we've had three years in which the economy's been in and out of recession, and the, the, we're now going to probably face another 12 to 18 months of, of a very hawkish Federal Reserve. So just as we've sort of you know, opened up in, the, in that sense, we're now going to face the headwinds of very, very significant policy tightening by, by the United States. So the economy's by no means out of the woods yet. But I think what it has done is, is you know, got, got us out of the worst case uh, in scenario and that allowed some uh, ability for the economy to find its feet, given that, that it's virtually dominated by services. So to answer mm. your question, I think it comes at the right time in a sense because uh, clearly the, the winds from the United States in terms of the policy move are not going to be good for this territory. Do you both think we've got to move fairly swiftly now, or at least have a plan for how we're going to move fairly swiftly to remove all restrictions so that we can compete with cities like Singapore that are 
uh, completely free and open. So all the the, re- the restrictions on uh, restaurants and bars and nightclubs, things like the gathering bans, the banquets, uh, restrictions and so on. Have we got to get rid of everything? I think from my side, I think the the biggest opportunity for Hong Kong ultimately comes with the border reopening with the mainland. Mm. That's really the end game um, because, as I said, a lot of that hub traffic comes through Hong Kong uh, conveniently from, from other parts of the you know, you know Western uh, economies and really they do that to come through Hong Kong to get access to China. So that's the, really the, the, mm. the ultimate aim. I think the second thing is it will certainly stop uh, people like myself when I did have to travel um, hubbing through Singapore to go to places like Australia and to uh, mm. Europe, which I think did actually make a very significant uh, headwind for 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 the for the Hong Kong economy. So in that respect, it's actually taken that um, that that money and pushed it back into Hong Kong. What do you think, Alex? Do, do we need now a clear exit strategy for the way out of all restrictions, absolutely everything? Yeah, of course. Uh, but I think the government will take a prudent stand. So they would like to see the. Um, the impact of this uh, relaxation. So I think uh, ultimately we, we would we would we would go for all or we move forward. I think. Mm. Now you mentioned Sean, obviously the uh, the monetary tightening that's going on around the world. We had uh, ten, ten out of uh, fifteen central banks that met last week, uh, raising rates. Four left them on hold. One, which was Turkey, cut rates by a hundred basis points. But they're a bit odd in terms of their monetary policy, as we know. Um, do you think central banks are going too far now with their rate rises as they try and really play catch up, aren't they, from not raising them earlier when inflation really started to take off? Well, I exactly have those sympathies. I think, unfortunately, the central banks are caught in a sort of they're pretty much boxed in. Uh, one is that they've now got to belatedly uh, deal with some of the effects of the past inflation trends. So inflation rates are peaking, but it's been an extremely uncomfortable for local populations, as you've seen with the Italian le- elections. And secondly, everyone's fighting now to compete with the, the US, uh, because if you don't raise rates sufficiently, your currency will drop and then you'll import inflation, make things even worse. So there's a bit of a a double whammy coming here for central banks, which is that if you were too late, uh, you're catching up because you've, you've, you're, you're having to sort of feed popular opinion. Uh, but now the move, I think, in rates, and as we saw on Friday with many of the exchange rates buckling, is simply a refre- reflection that the US is moving rates too fast for a lot of the comfort mm-hmm. zones for other, other central banks. Seems like there's almost a reverse currency war going on now. The more the Fed raises rates, more the other central banks have to sort of scramble to catch up. So we're not even seeing 25 basis points anymore. We're seeing 50, 75 in the case of Sweden and Canada, 100 basis point moves just to try and protect their their sort of currency. I mean, this is a, a sort of an extraordinary situation we're in, isn't it? Well, it is. I think um, the the dilemma now, and one in which I would sort of hypothesise, is that if we look out 12 months from now, which I know is very difficult because we're all in the headlights of these rate moves, we do have to recognise that yield curves in most parts of the world are inverted. And that does say that we're entering, going to enter a recession and that eventually uh, rates will be cut. I think the worry I have is that we've had such overstimulated property markets that um, when we do have these force of rate hikes coming through now, what it will mean is that asset prices will be very, very 
um, uh, deflationary for most of the global economies two to three years out. And I think that sort of portends perversely actually much lower bond yields. But mm. it's not, certainly not the sort of – that theme isn't the flavor of the month at the moment. But I can certainly see that being the scenario uh, for the latter part of 23 and for 2024. Alex, Alex, the Fed seems determined to signal that um, they're not going to stop raising rates. They're going to be raised higher uh, than people initially thought. I mean, the markets now are suggesting a terminal rate of about four and three quarter percent. Mm. And they're going to be left there a lot longer uh, than, than people thought as well. If you look at the Fed dot plot, uh, there's no rate cuts coming until at least 2024. This is much more um, hawkish than really people thought for even just a month or so ago. Yeah, so that's why the market reacted so ne- negatively. And uh, probably we, we are now pricing in uh, for a prolonged recession globally. So mm-hmm. that's why we are seeing uh, negative um, reactions on the asset markets. And probably this uh, would, um, would, prolong, would be a prolonged uh, uh, downturn in the stock market. How big a problem is debt in all this? Because when we last had a rate hiking cycle. Obviously, it affects things like people's mortgages. It affects corporate debt, government debt. But if you take sort of like, for example, individuals, they were less leveraged, uh, you know, when, when we last saw a sustained rate hike. So these increases in mortgages uh, were, you know, were less p- portion of disposable income. We're now in a situation where everyone is very highly leveraged, individuals, governments, companies. Um, are they, how are they going to be able to deal with these really sharp rate rises? Well, I think the only uh, perhaps silver lining in this is that real incomes, that is household incomes adjusted for inflation, will start to improve. So uh, spending power for consumers will actually start to show some glimmers of life um, going into the end of this year and early next year, particularly as you've seen with oil price moves and commodity price moves, freight moves in in shipping rates. Mm. But I think the more difficult issue is that the biggest item on a, a, a consumer's balance sheet is their house. And these house prices, price to income ratios were so elevated in the last 18 months that that um, sort of deflation on that part of the household balance sheet, I think, may actually end up overwhelming uh, the economies over the next two to three years as people have to pay off these very high mortgage rates. And I think that's going to be a concern, as I say, perhaps not now, but sometime 12 months from now when we have a very, very different type of um, uh, economic growth than Mm -hmm. we have currently. Well, what does this mean for, for stocks? The FTSE World Index has fallen now 5% two weeks in a row. Uh, we're in this uh, sort of environment where inflation is still too hot. We had things like that German PPI data, didn't we? Much higher than expected. Rates are rising very fast. The two-year Treasury yield is above 4%. Uh, central banks are still very, very hawkish. We had the Swedish one last week raise uh, rates by 100 basis points. This doesn't seem to me to be uh, a very good environment at all for, for stocks. Okay, of course, uh, this is a bad environment for stocks. And I think uh, the point is, uh, if you, even if you reckon the, the market is oversold now, uh, and we are getting uh, some declines in commodity markets, which means um, some easing in inflation. The best case scenario for stocks is uh, we, we have a small recovery, and uh, it will not be a sustained uh, uh, um, uptrend. So I think uh, that would take people out uh, from the stock market, and people would uh, use that, those kind of opportunities uh, to, to, to reduce the, uh, their, their holdings. Because we have a failed uh, rebound uh, earlier, and I think that that is uh, quite um, 
demoralizing the the bull camps. So I think uh, very likely we may just uh, have a uh, small rebound, but uh, we could not have a sustained uh, recovery. And sure, we've got to combine this as well, of course, with the soaring US dollar, which in itself is causing problems out here, isn't it? I mean, it's undermining the uh, the, the yen and the Chinese yuan, which have sort of really the two anchor currencies for the Asia-Pacific region. Well, you're right. Um, the dollar's become a self-fulfilling prophecy as rate expectations are ratcheted up. Uh, money flows into the dollar, which strengthens it against all the other exchange rates, and you go into that sort of vicious cycle, what we call a dollar smile, where people come into owning the dollar simply because it seems to have been, you know, it seems to be the fashion um, at, at this moment in time. I think um, back to Alex's earlier point, and I think it was a very good one, which is that. We have to look at equities in, in the context of all asset classes, and I think you know what we really would want to see is that that yield curve start to you know start to meaningfully flatten out, and I think that's going to be the buy signal for equities. But in the meantime, it's all going to be about credit because you know so if we are going to have a period of over tightening, which I think we are, then credit markets are going to find themselves under stress, and in that respect. They're probably the best lead indicator for equity investors because they're actually in showing a little bit more value than, than global equities at the moment. But I, I would still pretend that, unfortunately, um, you know, even the credit markets probably will need to see a, a much higher implied default rate than the, what, what they're actually discounting at the moment. And what about Hong Kong? We're now back to 2011 lows for the, uh, the Hang Seng. In effect, um, 11 years of gains have, have been wiped out now. But it, it does leave Hong Kong stocks on, on a valuation basis looking exceptionally cheap, doesn't it? But, but where do we go from here? It's not that cheap if, uh, because uh, this is supported by um, all economy stuff like banks and properties. So uh, they, they look cheap so on, on paper. But uh, first of all, you have to discount the risk of a property uh, devaluation say, in China and Hong Kong. And also, um, uh, uh, the other sectors in Hong Kong actually uh, have mm -hmm. their own uh, negative issues. Uh, the, the internet sector is still uh, under regulated uh, headwinds. And, and the um, manufacturing sectors actually would face a problem from the U.S. So that's why uh, Hong Kong would continue to underperform other markets. I think uh, Hong Kong property would still uh, be going lower later on. Okay. Well, thank you both for your thoughts. Alex Wong, Director, Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Sean Darby, Chief Global Equity Strategist at Jefferies. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Twenty-five on the phone now is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Client Capital. Morning, Brock. Hey, good morning, Peter. Uh, first of all, Brock, let me get your thoughts on the uh, the further relaxation now of uh, travel restrictions here in Hong Kong. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, do you see it as a step in the right direction? Does it go far enough? Well, look, I've been in Hong Kong throughout COVID, so of course I'm glad to see it. It's overdue. I welcome it. Hong Kong welcomes it. But I think in, in some significant extent, the damage has been done. You know, last week, Singapore significantly uh, or finally outranked Hong Kong as an Asian financial center. There's been a tremendous uh, human capital outflow. And I just think an important precedent has been set where um, COVID reinforced this perception of Hong Kong's lessened attractiveness for people and capital. Um, 
I would say it's not just about the border. If Hong Kong wants to regain some mojo, we've, we we should remove quarantine, compulsory test, health code requirements. Um, COVID is still an issue, and I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but it, it's just too slow and I would say, without much conviction. Can the damage be unwound and can some of uh, that mojo be regained? We've got, for example, um, an investment summit coming up in November to coincide with the Rugby Sevens. Is that a good uh, opportunity to to relaunch Hong Kong um, and help promote it again as an international financial centre and and retake that position back from Singapore? Well, I think that banking conference is one of the main drivers behind the relaxation. but if they don't take a few steps further in that direction, I think it, it may not work. Mm. Now, what about the Hong Kong economy? We've had uh, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, raised interest rates again, the city's base rate, uh, by 75 basis points. It's now right. at a 14-year high of 3.5%. Um, is the Hong Kong economy in good enough shape, shape to be able to withstand this? Well, no one looks at Hong Kong right now and thinks, this is the time that we really need some rate hikes. Um, But U.S. rate hikes are essentially Hong Kong rate hikes, and last week we saw sort of HSBC and Standard Chartered all all get in line behind the Fed. Um, This is likely to be a drag on Hong Kong, or at least make the avoidance of a recession, I think, more difficult. Hong Kong will survive, but for me, the real risk here is that the dollar peg just makes less sense. as Hong Kong integrates into a larger Chinese economy, can it really have interest rate policy run by Washington? And this must, this must irritate Beijing no end to have Washington playing such an outsized role. Mm. So what I'd say is that a recession combined with declining U.S.-China relations, that can only highlight the inherent stresses in the peg. And let's just keep in mind the peg has been great, but it is not permanent. So do you think then, I mean, clearly the peg isn't going to be broken by the markets. Uh, Hong Kong has a lot of reserves and right. is able to defend that. But yes. do you think what it sounds like what you're saying is they may start to be thinking, does this make sense? Should we voluntarily think about maybe pegging it to the yuan? I think there are probably authorities on both in the U.S. and in Beijing that are incre- increasingly questioning the value of the peg. Mm. And what about the yuan itself? I mean, that's under pressure as well, isn't it, from uh, rising interest rates and the soaring uh, U.S. dollar, not just the yuan, the Japanese yen, the Korean won as well. But um, could there be a devaluation of the yuan? Uh, I suppose it's possible. But look, the, the most important problem that China's looking at <clears throat> economically right now is the general insolvency of the real estate sector. Ideally, I'm sure that Beijing would like to ease rates as a temporary dodge and sort of push the problem off to tomorrow. Mm. But the Fed is making that impossible. And the PBOC must surely realize that I think, at least at this point, fighting the Fed is going to be a losing battle. And what does this all mean for local stocks? We've got the Hang Seng Index now uh, at the lowest level since November 2011. Looks like it's going to fall even further um, again this morning. Any sign at all of a bottom here? Uh, Not yet. I think there are still good reasons for Hong Kong's market to feel a bit bearish. Um, You know, China's go-go growth era is over. The easy money era, courtesy of the Fed, seems to be over. Um, We've got global concerns over Hong Kong's direction. A lot of uh, human and financial capital has been been fleeing mostly to Singapore. 
regulatory instability on the mainland. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why we're why people are casting a jaundiced eye towards Hong Kong at this point. Now, the last time Hong Kong suffered an extended downturn, it was followed by a long period of significant growth and prosperity. Those who bet on Hong Kong were rewarded richly. Um, but that was a different era, and I don't think that's likely to be repeated. Um, mm. The way I would look at it is, at, at this point, Hong Kong is simply China, and people should invest accordingly. Okay, Brock. Well, thank you very much. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And it is once again a sea of red across Asia-Pacific stock markets. The ASX 200 is down 1.7% now. In Japan, stocks slipping further there as well. The Nikkei 225 off 2%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea down 1.8%, and I'm afraid uh, looks like more downside for the Hang Seng. Its futures pointing to a loss of 150 points there at the open this morning as well. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned. Back chat coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast dry and hot during the day. Maximum temperature around 32 degrees. Windy with a few showers in the next couple of days. 28 degrees right now. 71% relative humidity. <laughs> 32. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The Travel Industry Council says while the scrapping of the hotel quarantine will be a boom for locals hoping to travel overseas, the relaxation won't do much to draw in overseas travellers, noting that there's a limited number of flights because of the pandemic. The council's executive director, Fanny Young, says it's still difficult for Hong Kong to compete with other destinations that have no travel restrictions at all. She also told Janice Wong that outgoing flights for Hong Kongers hoping to travel travel overseas will remain tight for the rest of the year. I, I think for the coming few months, uh, I should say up to December, all right, up to the Christmas peak, we, we expect at least that we'll have around 40 to 50% uh, of the growth. Uh, I mean, in compare with uh, the last two months. But, but again, I think the, the base is still small, so the absolute number may not be that huge. But the percentage will be will be will be a lot, and and also because you know for travel agency and now a lot of, uh, I mean travel this uh, travelers they are booking online direct, so uh, business go to travel agency will also have a discount on that. Beijing says all delegates for next month's 20th Party Congress have been elected. CCTV reported that a total of 2,296 delegates had been picked for the twice-in-a-decade political conclave. The delegates will be tasked with picking around 200 members for the party's Central Committee, and the Central Committee will then vote for the 25-person Politburo and its all-powerful Standing Committee. Analysts also expect President Xi Jinping to secure an unprecedented third term of office in the Congress that is set to kick off on October 16th. Voting has ended in Italy's general election, with exit polls indicating victory for a coalition led by far-right party. The survey suggests that the Brothers of Italy will be the largest party in parliament, with between 22 and 26 percent of the votes. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. 
On today's programme, we're talking about the easing of restrictions on inbound travellers. From today, there's no longer a requirement to undergo hotel quarantine. Instead, under what's known as the uh, zero plus three arrangement, arrivals will be given an amber health code for three days which will mean they can still go to work or school but can't visit venues such as restaurants and bars. They'll be told to take rapid tests uh, for a week and PCR tests will be required on arrival as well as two, four and six days later. The authorities are also dropping the requirement for travellers to show a negative PCR test.